Hello, everybody out there. What's up, Packer fans? Nice to see you again. I'm, my name is John Delray, host of Lombardi Time Brews, and a little surprise live episode this evening because it's time to dive into the Packers' decision to retain Joe Barry. Why? <laughs> why? Why are we retaining Joe Barry? What is Matt LeFleur thinking? What are the reasons to get rid of Joe Barry? So much going on today. Now, I personally was at a signing today. It took a little bit longer than I expected, so I thought before it got too late, I would just hop on live and Screw it. Let's do it live. Let's do it this way. So the number one thing, or the first thing that I should say that I do want to address is the situation that's going on with Jerry Alexander. Matt LaFleur actually talked about this a little bit today in his press conference because he was asked again, what is going on with Jerry Alexander? Okay. And there's a few myths that need to be dispelled right off the bat. One, that Jerry Alexander was not present at the game yesterday. That got spread around, I believe it was by Matt Schneidman on, of The Athletic on Twitter at first saying, like, there's others on the field, Jair's nowhere to be found. Well, Jair was at the game, and in fact, he was talking with the assistant coaches for much of the game, to my understanding. So that is one thing. Now, beyond that even, there's more to it. When Lafleur was asked today, what's going on with Jair? Is it miscalculation? Did you expect him back earlier than what would happen? And yeah. Matt LaFleur admitted that they miscalculated this injury, that it does go to a difficulty with tackling for Jair, much as we have speculated before in the last couple of weeks. Also, Jair Alexander did not purposefully scrub his Instagram yesterday. I've seen that. That is still going around. People are still believing that. It was spread around last night by a few of those aggregate, like, twit Twitter accounts that are just they're terrible, y'all. If you follow those, please stop. Just please. But they put out there that Jerry Alexander completely wiped his Instagram, got rid of all indications of that. If you go to Instagram right now and look at Jerry Alexander's profile, it's a picture of him in his uniform for the Packers. Picture number two of, on his profile is him making a tackle in a uniform for the Packers. Jerry Alexander scrubs his Instagram every few months. This isn't new. So just stop. If you're peddling that nonsense, my goodness. So my take on this whole situation with Jair, very quickly before we get to the real topic here, is I really think you've got a coaching staff that's saying, hey, like, we know things are difficult for you, but we want you to get out there. And Jair is going, I'm not going to get out there if I don't believe that I can play like I know how. And I can't. I can't tackle. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. And the coaches are saying, we get that. We still want you out there. And there you have a little rub. I don't think maybe there is more to it, but at least on the surface level, that's what we got going on. So let's turn our attention to the Packers decision to hang on to Joe Barry. Yeah. And if you didn't hear that yet, I'm sure you did, but if you didn't hear that yet at Matt LaFleur's press conference this afternoon, he did say that the plan is to hang on to Joe Barry for the duration of the season as a defensive coordinator. Now, it wasn't like when he said this season, it wasn't exactly ominous. It didn't have this tone of like, we're hanging on to him for three games, then we're boating him. Like, no, it was just, he was asked, is the plan to retain Joe Barry through the end of the year? And he said, yeah, that's the plan. Okay. Joe Barry, by all accounts, is a lovely human being. He's actually quite delightful to listen to on the podium at times. And I don't doubt, given his track record as a position coach, that he's actually a pretty good teacher. He did some great work with inside linebackers with the Rams when he was under Staley and McVay over out West. But we have seen from his stints in Detroit, in Washington, and now in Green Bay, 
that some people are just not suited for certain jobs. And it certainly looks clear that defensive coordinator and Joe Barry just don't get along. It's not a secret. A lot of people want the Packers defense to play more on their toes, less on their heels, more aggressive style, more man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The complaints are many, especially with zone, but it's not just zone. There are a few problems here with the way that the Packers run their defense, and these are fairly undeniable. One, the zones are spaced way too far out. We saw that a bunch yesterday for Packers versus Buccaneers. They are spaced so far out that even if the ball is delivered, it doesn't even have to be a perfect delivery from the quarterback. It's still so easy to make the completion because some players have to travel so far in order to get there to contest the catch. Another problem with the zone scheme that they run is it doesn't truly match the personnel that they have. Like, look at their top corners, right? Jair, probably better suited for man than zone, although he is at least, when he's playing well, competent at doing both amongst the best in the league. Stokes, his rookie year, excelled before he suffered the big injuries, excelled at man coverage versus zone. And yeah, I, I'm not going to defend his play yesterday. He looked like a guy who hasn't played football in a very long time. He just was slow on the draw, and here's hoping he gets it back. But even Carrington Valentine, the future of the cornerback position in all likelihood, he's better as a press man. So the only one really on the team that was better at zone than matter is more just just more his style was Razul. And he's gone. So what are we continuing to do here by calling something that just doesn't match the secondary pieces that we have? Even inside linebacker Quay Walker is best. He, this is dating all the way back through college, he always was at his best when he wasn't having to read. That was a big thing last year. Don't read, just go play. You know, do, do run blitzes or how they used Quay from the edge at times last year. He's very effective at doing that. Things where he can just use his explosiveness and his athleticism. Well, now in this zone, he's having to make a bunch of decisions. And yesterday he got exposed for it. As did Devondre Campbell. Ooh, rough game from both of them. But I also want to point out, too, that Joe Barry does run the Vic Fangio style of defense, the Fangio tree, as it's called. And that's not exactly getting results league-wide right now. This tweet put out by Wendell Ferreira earlier, I think is very uh, fitting of the situation. Fangio style defenses by DVOA. DVOA, if you don't, if you're not familiar, I don't talk about it a bunch, but it's kind of an all-encompassing statistic originated by the football outsiders, I believe, that tries to take into account opponents, expectations, et cetera, et cetera. But here you have Fangio style defenses by DVOA, the Dolphins, which are led by the guy who created the system, Vic Fangio. They're still in 13th. And then the Rams, 21st, Eagles, 22nd, Panthers, 27th, Chargers, 28th, Panther, or Packers, 29th. And what he's saying there is if your scheme needs a combination of Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, as it did for Staley and Barry when they were both with the Rams, then uh, yeah, it may not be the best out there. So overall, that system is kind of getting pushed out of the NFL. It's appearing outdated. Teams have figured out if we just dink and dunk, we can work our way down the field against a defense that plays 25 yards back. Let's do that. And it's working league-wide. And I get that the problems aren't just coaching in Green Bay. Like, there are 
of course there's issues. And at times the defense has worked, right? It's, it's stifled Patrick Mahomes a few times, which is something that not many defenses can say. And yes, there were a litany of problems that were player related yesterday. Wrong assignments, missed tackles, slow reaction, bad communication, as Matt LaFleur certainly referenced in his press conference. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But there were several situations yesterday that just were straight up scheming, communication, coordination problems. It's almost like that's the title of a guy's job. There were coordination problems. There were multiple plays yesterday going back and doing a rewatch where players straight up looked confused as the ball was being snapped. Like they didn't know what they were supposed to do out there. And I know that there's backups back there. There's injury replacements back there. This isn't the way the secondary was planned for. But at the same time, a lot of those replacements have been playing for quite a while at this point. There also were several plays where there were two defensive backs lined up against Tripp's bunch for the Buccaneers. Quite literally, three wide receivers for two D-backs. And then nothing on the defensive side of the ball changed. So you saw the ball snap, the three wide receivers run their routes, and the two DBs go, what? <laughs> what are they supposed to do? <laughs> what do you expect them to do in that situation? And yeah, every single time they got burned. There was one particular funny play, I believe it occurred in the second half, where there were literally four individuals for the Buccaneers that were open enough to get a touchdown. Baker could have just picked any one of them, and it would have worked. Or how about the one play specifically, the Mike Evans touchdown? I know LaFleur touched on in his press conference where Rudy Ford was basically kind of inside. And it looks like he was supposed to help Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes had outside leverage on Mike Evans. If Evans was running a post, Ford should have been there, right? But when you actually zoom out and look at the entirety of the play, the Buccaneers were running basically parallel posts. And Rudy Ford is the guy in the middle, saw two posts coming at him. And he realized over on the left-hand side, there is not a soul from the defense over there. So he takes two steps that way. And then he goes, oh God, and doubles back as the ball starts coming into Mike Evans. And it's, it's easy. The whole day yesterday was easy for Baker Mayfield to put up a 158.3 quarterback rating. And then, yeah, as Matt LaFleur touched on, we can't see this watching it. There obviously was bad communication all over the field. Things were not being communicated correctly from Joe Barry with the headset to Quay Walker or Devondre Campbell with the green dot on their helmet to the rest of the guys who have to do their job. Again, a coordination problem. So basically what I'm saying here is there are a number of things that occurred yesterday and occur every week. So even simple things like bad tackling that are player fault, right? But being a coach, just like it being in teaching, yeah, this stuff can go wrong for sure. And sometimes you just have bad personnel. The scheme is good, but they just do it wrong. Or like a teacher, you could just have a group of bad students sometimes. It's just not going to work. But year after year after year of the same problems with no adjustments, no changes, and eventually, it all falls on the person who's in charge of the room. And that's exactly what we see now for the Green Bay Packers. So where is Matt LaFleur at? I'm going to talk about LaFleur. Then I'm going to see if we got any comments. But Matt LaFleur, 
where he's at in the situation, opting to keep Joe Barry for now. I know a ton of people believe that Joe Barry should have just been let go at the end of last season and Lafleur opted to hang on to him. Well, now it's pretty crystal clear. And yet Matt Lafleur is opting to hang on to him at least for the duration of the season. But I will say yesterday in his press conference, immediately following the game, was the least committed by far that I've ever heard Matt Lafleur talk about Joe Barry. They he actively admitted that they were out coached on the defensive side of the ball several times. And he didn't put as much onus on the players following the game yesterday. He also said that he would do what he believed was the best fix. He's looking for solutions, not looking to create problems. He would do what was necessary for the organization. Fast forward to today's press conference. We know Joe Barry's keeping his job. And I'm just wondering why. And I came up with a couple different points of rationale that Matt LaFleur might be using. Today at his press conference, LaFleur did put more onus on the players. You know, Saban saying that some of this stuff is day one stuff. How are we not able to communicate in week 15? And it was more, yeah, the players done did it. LaFleur also lambasted the communication quite a bit. Reporters made him kind of break down what is a standard play call look like on the defensive side of the ball? Where does it go from? Is it from Barry to an assistant or is it from Barry direct into the helmet? Can Lafleur ever step in and change a play after a play has been called? Of which Lafleur did deny that one saying that that would be very difficult given the timing of how things work on the headset. Lafleur would have to dictate to Barry what he wants called before it's ever even called. So that's a rationalization. Lafleur maybe is thinking, well, we've done that before. In fact, he even said that. He said, we've communicated well before, so we must be able to do it again. That must be part of the rationale. Another one. The Packers are still in the playoff race. Look, the whole thing got turned on its head yesterday when the Carolina Panthers upset the Atlanta Falcons. Like the Packers playoff chances increased quite a bit when that loss occurred for the Falcons. In fact, now if the Packers went out and there's a bunch of different playoff machines out there, like this is roughly an average of what you're looking at. But if the Packers win out these final three games, they still have like a 90% chance to make the playoffs. So maybe Lafleur is saying, well, it wasn't this bad earlier in the year. And it's many of the same guys. We're still in the playoff race continuity at this point is better than change. And there is precedent to that, historically speaking. Making coordinator change in season doesn't always bode well. But that could be part of the rationale. And in kind of conjunction with that, it's entirely possible, because this is a question floated quite a bit, if Matt LaFleur were to make the change, Bond from Joe Barry, who assumes the position over the final three weeks? Consider the Packers assistant coaches on the defensive side of the ball. You've got Jerry Montgomery, who's been there for quite a while. He was D-line coach under uh, McCarthy back in the day. He's been there for a while. You've got Kirk Olivati, the inside linebacker coach. Jason Rebrovich, the edge and pass rush specialist coach. Then you've got Downard, the D-backs coach. Greg Williams, the pass game coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. None of which have ever had any experience as a defensive coordinator. So is it possible that Matt LaFleur feels as though none of those, none of that collective is worthy of the three-game audition that would present itself or would do better with the three-game audition? 
than maintaining the status quo. One last point about Matt LaFleur that I have truly come to believe over the years of him coaching the Packers. I believe fully, and I maybe I'm totally wrong. I'm just reading tea leaves. But I do believe that Matt LaFleur, as a leader, is an optimist who believes in his people. And he strikes me as the type of individual that will give you chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. After chance. But then when he's done with you, He's done. Look at Kylan Hill, Kingsley Kiki, Mari Rogers. Mari Rogers, especially, was given chance after chance after chance, all just to ultimately be cut without many more adjustments to his role. Maybe Matt LaFleur is still hanging on to the last shred of hope that Joe Barry has done some nice things over the last three years. So maybe he'll do a couple more nice things over these final three weeks and maybe push the Packers to the playoffs. If that chance is burned, maybe once and for all, given Lafleur's down tone over the last 48 hours, maybe that truly is it once and for all. And I know I and many, many more are hoping that that's the outcome. So let me just dive on over here to the comments. There's just some things I want to check in. I figure I got some time. Let's check in with you. Um, hello, Chris. How you doing? Maybe to just hang on to him just to put time into looking for another DC. Hope your and others Monday is good. By the way, thank you, Chris. Hope you're doing well as well. Um, yeah. I'd, would I be entirely surprised if Matt LaFleur doesn't already have his eyes on a few candidates out there? I wouldn't be shocked at all. If he wants to stick in the uh, Fangio tree of things, Brandon Staley is recently unemployed. Or maybe Matt LaFleur, I don't think this is going to happen, but maybe Matt LaFleur is just really hoping that his good friend Salah is let go by the Jets. And come on in, start running the defense. I just, all I'm saying is, may I wouldn't be shocked at all if LaFleur, at least in his head, has a list of guys that would be fairly high on the list that he may call quickly in the event of a Joe Barry unemployment. Jeff Benjamin, hello to you, Jeff. You said it right during the game. They seem to just run their routes, non-contested, and just catch the ball. It's frustrating to watch. Yeah, especially in the Bucks game, right? Like we were talking about that in the watch party. So many routes for the Buccaneers didn't even get pushed. Like did the route never got altered. And obviously if you do that too much, it's a penalty. But like still, the defense can influence what the offense is doing and repeatedly the Buccaneers were able to untouched run perfect routes and then just get an on time, relatively clean pass from Baker and make it an easy, easy completion. That reminds me, I don't think I actually showed this graphic. I really, really want to. So let me jump over here. Take a look at this from Bill Barnwell. No, I got to change stuff. There we go. Bill Barnwell put out over the last three seasons. Packers D is 25th and third down conversion rate with four yards or fewer to go. These are third and shorts, four or fewer, 25th. When ESPN's data has them playing zone on third and four or less, that drops to 30th. Teams are converting nearly 68% of the time against the Packers in this situation. Oh, my word. If it feels predictable when an offense lines up for third and short against the Packers and they just happen to get it and it feels like, mm, yeah, that was predictable. Uh, it's because statistically it is. And as if that ain't terrifying. Whoosh. 
Rocket Knees, hello to you. Dom Capers, 9 to 17. Mike Patton, 18 to 20. 20. Uh, Joe Barry, 21 to present day. Is this a Joe Barry problem, Matt? If we were hiring problem, GM picking players built to stop the pass rather than run, or Packer management hiring the wrong choices, a.k.a. culture. It does feel a little bit like a curse at this point. I'm going to say ultimately a little bit of each, and I, I hope that doesn't feel too much like a cop-out, but it's kind of true. Like each one has had some different problems along the way. Dom Capers, it's believed back at the time that the Packers following the Super Bowl were really on this youth movement. They were youngest team in the league routinely, not as young as this year, but pretty routinely they were amongst the youngest teams in the league following the Super Bowl. And Dom Capers wanted to run this massively complex system and the young guys just weren't getting it right maybe that's a little bit of what we got going on now but that was a problem for dom capers mike Petton never seemed to be a perfect marriage with matt lafleur i mean matt lafleur did opt to retain him or told he was retaining him when lafleur very first got the job and it just seemed that that relationship really ran its course in part and this is kind of the ironic part in part because of the way Petten called occasionally passive stuff by being backed off the line. And then Lafleur went out and hired Joe Barry to be even more off the line. So in that regard, maybe it's possible that Matt Lafleur doesn't truly know what he's looking for when searching out a successful defense. Maybe he truly needs a defensive specialist, an expert. Doesn't necessarily look like Joe Barry is. So in terms of like the personnel, no, like looking up and down the personnel, keeping in mind their strengths, I don't think that that's the case. I think the scheme doesn't match who they have. I would say that rather conclusively. But I think with, let's call them the horses of the defense, you certainly have enough there to run a competent race if they're used for how they actually do things well. Also, I should note in terms of Matt LaFleur's hiring, he seemed to be on the right track when he hired Joe Barry because the finalists for that job were Evero, who's been a phenomenal coach in the league, uh, Leonard, who still is highly regarded, but the one that he wound up hiring after Leonard turned down the job was Joe Barry. So let's go with a little bit of everything, Rocket Knees. Kempton boy, hello, Kempton, how you doing? Saying, uh, man, this defense is so hard to watch sometimes. It's incredibly frustrating that Joe Barry can't figure out how to put his players in the best position to succeed. I'm right there with you. And at times it's, it's worked, but I keep on going back to the phrase of maybe the defense won't lose you every game, right? Because they do average about 20 points given up per game, and that should win a lot in the NFL. It's kind of the standard of win versus loss for defense. But man, it certainly isn't going to be the reason you win too many. And considering that half of your roster and more than half of the team's resources are on that side of the ball, slightly problematic that that side of the ball won't ever win you a game. So very, very frustrating. Also, this defense reminds me of the 2011 defense, but much worse from Kempton Boy. Um, in some ways, without all the turnovers, because in that era... Like that was kind of the one thing Don Capers did really, really well was they were bend, but don't break. But the don't break didn't look in the way of field goals back then. It was, we're going to give up 80 yards, but we're not going to let you in the end zone. And then we're going to get a pick. We're going to get a sack. We're going to get something really timely to shut it down. 
Now it's just kind of like, we're going to give up 80 yards and then give you a field goal. And we're going to call that a success, except it's not. Javin, hello. How you doing, man? Uh, I don't think you want Staley. Same scheme. Chargers players gave up on him. Yeah. I, so the one redeeming thing that I have about Staley, and I, I, I don't want Staley, but I at least could see a path to it being successful. I'll say that. Yes, it is the same scheme. Very much the Fangio tree. And when Staley first came on with the Chargers, he did have some success. I mean, he was considered a wonderkind when he first got to the Chargers, right? The, the analytics-based coach, the, the great defensive coach, and then it's fizzled over the years. And yeah, the Chargers, they did give up on him. I have wondered before, though, if, like Joe Barry is a coordinator, if Brandon Staley just isn't the best head coach. You know, maybe the defense would still work, but yeah, the concern is still the Fangio tree is getting decimated league-wide. So, I just, yeah. Overall, do I want him? No, not really. But could I at least, if they do make that move, could I at least hope for lightning in a bottle? Yeah, I would hold out some hope, even if it's not the most logical thing. Uh, Chris, maybe Coach Matt and Joe both have Illuminati tattoo on both of their ankles. It's that secret bond, man. They're both in a secret fraternity. I'm with you. Raganese, good to chat with you, John. I enjoy your chats. Been watching Packers since 2002. I guess I'm used to bad defenses. I'm a beaten down man. No, predominant defense. <laughs> I, get, I very much enjoy going back and forth with you too, Raganese. Really appreciate the engagement. And uh, yeah, that watch Friday, man. That was a rough go. I just felt the part of my soul just leave <laughs> just watching these, these guaranteed third downs occur. But uh, yeah, I, I get it. And then Chad saying, I agree, Jonathan Barry was the linebacker coach in LA when Staley was DC. Yep. He runs almost the exact same scheme. Yeah. If anything, there was hope that Barry wouldn't run a true Fangio tree because Barry in prior coaching engagements, he's an older coach, had experience in like the Marinelli system, the other defensive systems. So there was some hope. And then he wound up running totally the Fangio tree. Staley to my understanding, without being an expert on Brandon Staley, is just very much the Fangio tree. And uh, yeah, that's concerning. The I guess I could more eloquently put it this way. The kind of the glimmer of hope with Staley is even in running the Fangio tree, he has achieved greater heights than Joe Barry has ever achieved running the Fangio tree. Maybe that's something to hold on to. That's that's what I'm going with. So and and there's certainly people talking in in league circles that Staley and the Packers do kind of seem like a perfect match, given that Lafleur and Staley are friends. Chad also saying then that maybe Staley would be more aggressive at times and less predictable when it comes to alignments, or or even I'll just throw on there too. Maybe Staley is more adept, more open to adjustments, like. The Buccaneer game was the perfect example of everything that's gone wrong with the defense over three years. It just all happened in one game. But the lack of adjustments, how many times could we watch Chris Godwin run from the slot, plant himself in a wide open zone where the nearest dudes are eight yards far apart, and then just make the simple catch? And then again and again and again, because there was absolutely no change to what was actually being rolled out schematically for the Packers. So why would the Buccaneers change? They didn't need to. 
maybe the hope is a different guy actually makes some adjustments. It, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Rocket Knee saying, uh, uh, bring, bring Rex Ryan. No. <laughs> no, I will tell you. I mean, if, if, um, if Joe Barry is relieved of his duties right after the season, whatever, I am kind of building a list of guys that I would really like to see uh, gone after. I could just give you a little teaser of like one is Larry Foot. He, uh, he, the Buccaneers have like dual coordinators for defense. Maybe they can entice him to come take over the full job. He's done a very good job coming up everywhere he's been um, in regards of position coaching all the way through. I think he's a very, very, intriguing candidate there's some others too so uh rex ryan is not on the list um and chad then saying very true staley's had much more success yeah and i think that that's maybe the hope right like i know fangio is kind of on the way out but like at least get someone who's done it better than joe has if we're going to do it maybe that's the glimmer of hope we have to hang on to uh chris ann saying john are you st are stable are you oh how stable are you with valentine um, let me say that. Okay. So first of all, is he perfect right now? No, he's not completely locked down. He's not being in a position to be locked down either. Okay. The other thing that I would say is for a seventh round pick, he's an absolute steal. Okay. Do I have faith that he's going to be Jair at his peak? Absolute lockdown. Number one guaranteed corner. No, I'm not there yet, but I do believe that Carrington Valentine, based upon what we've seen in the last six to seven weeks alone, very much has a starting career as a cornerback for a very long time. I like the way that he plays. I like his aggressive attitude. It does remind me of a younger Jair before Jair started getting hurt. It's something they could use a little bit more of. So how stable am I? Very stable. Just have some questions about what that exact peak is for Valentine. Uh, Commando G-Man, over the middle. I am overhearing that phrase since was happening so often. Yeah. Yeah. They just chose not to cover it. Or, or the linebackers were 10 yards deep. The safeties were 20 yards deep. So the Buccaneers ran 15 yards deep. No kidding. And then the Packers never really did anything about it. So, yeah. Frustrating. And then Jonathan also saying Al Harris would be cool. Robert Sala, uh, but I think the Rodgers injury buys him a year. Yeah, I see. I'm at the exact point. I think I think Sala sticks with the Jets because Aaron Rodgers is going to want Sala to stick with the Jets. Like, It's not uh, – Rodgers never explicitly said it, but he has referenced being very happy with Sala as a coach. So stance reason he's going to get another year, assuming Aaron Rodgers returns, which looking like he will for sure. Al Harris, the one concern that I've got with Al Harris, I think he's done some great work in Dallas as the defensive backs coach. Um, they seemingly churn out like Trayvon Diggs, kind of, he'd had some draft pedigree, but certainly no one expected him to ascend to the level of ball hawk he became. Then uh, Dre Bland this year, he seems to consistently churn out these corners that can be successful. But... He ultimately isn't the pass game coordinator for Dallas. He is just the DB's coach. And it's kind of a big jump from that to full-on D coordinator. They, they would just have to be sure that like he's ready for that jump because that is a big jump. It's the equivalent of the Packers taking Ryan Downard and making him D coordinator. Like That's that's a leap 
in the modern NFL hierarchy. So um, would I be upset by it? No. I think he's one of the coolest Packers to ever play. But his resume is not as well-rounded as I think other candidates out there would be. Chad, uh, probably the last question I'll take before I got to jump out of here, but Chad's saying, what's your thoughts on Campbell? I'm not sure if he still has a lingering injury or if he's lost a step, but he looks significantly slower and his anticipation just doesn't seem there anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty much in full agreement there. That was the thing that was staggering. It was like, you can be aging and lose a step. At the inside linebacker position, like that's bound to happen, right? Especially with the amount of injuries that Campbell's racked up over the last two years. But what was really alarming about yesterday specifically was the anticipation seemed gone. When he had that really great year in 21, was named an All-Pro, he was reading everything so quickly. He was reacting, like, just like a quarterback ripping it down the field with no hesitation. That was Campbell, the equivalency at inside linebacker. But now you see a lot more go this way, oh, crap, go this way. Or just a lot like the ball goes whizzing past and then Campbell moves. Like, you can lose a step speed-wise, but why is that anticipation kind of deteriorating from Campbell's game? I know Campbell himself said that the reason why he wasn't as good last year was lingering injuries. And he's had a fair share of injuries this year. Is he going to say that again? How valid is it? Granted, we don't know what's going on with him medically. Maybe it is a big reason. What we can say conclusively is at the end of the day, what he did yesterday from a performance standpoint was not good enough. Kind of up to the Packers to figure out why. I will say from a contract standpoint, if, if you're looking to move on from Devondre Campbell, it makes a lot of sense to do it after next year. I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but if they move on from the contract this coming offseason from Campbell, there's more dead money than there is cap savings. Just hypothetically, let's say his number is 12 million, like eight of it's dead, four of it would be freed up. Okay. Next year, after 2024, those numbers flip and it becomes a lot more advantageous from a financial standpoint to make a move then. So the question is, are they going to I don't want to say tolerate, but are they going, are they comfortable enough having him next to Quay for another year? Maybe with McDuffie continuing to be number three. But yeah, ultimately, sorry, I, I don't think anyone knows the exact answer, but it's clear things are slowing down for Campbell and not in the good way. Uh, let's see. Rocket Knee saying, just want to mention this. If you haven't checked out Packers History, an official YouTube channel, I highly recommend to any Packers fan. It's divided in decades. They did a good job. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, that's actually one account I haven't found. So thank you, Rocket Knees. I do follow the Packers History account on Twitter. He's an awesome guy. Love, uh, love chatting with him. Um, but yeah, I'm going to check that out. Thank you for the recommendation, Rocket Knees. Uh, Chris Hansen, said, I have to. Love it. <laughs> That's good. And then uh, I ended up binging the whole thing. You good, bro. Um, yeah, one thing. The other thing that I really need to watch is the Packers Legacy series that they put out a couple of years ago. That, that was like the Packers video version of their history. Really want to check that out from the team. I haven't watched the whole thing. I've just seen clips. And what I have seen is great. Uh, I wish they'd bring that back for, for Blu-ray sales again. So, all right, everybody. 
been nice chatting with you about Joe Barry. I'll be back Wednesday. Um, probably going to do 4.30 again, our, our regular time. Be on the lookout soon. I've been kind of wondering about these Wednesday times, if 4.30 is better, if I should back it up to 5, if I should do 2 o'clock again. Maybe I'll put out a poll soon, letting people kind of decide when I go live for these Wednesdays. But be on the lookout for that Wednesday Q&A. It'll be 4.30 Lambo time this week. And then Friday, uh, we'll be looking at Packers versus Panthers before Christmas Eve. And reminder, no watch party this week. Family holiday for me. But you still can expect to hear from me somehow, probably on Christmas Eve. Hope you all are having a great start to your week. I will see you on Wednesday. And as always, oh no, where's my video? I gotta find it. Ha ha. And as always, go pack, go.